Welcome to the Progress with Unity podcast. It's Sunday afternoon, and I'm going to wish good afternoon to Paul. Good afternoon, Barry. Good afternoon, Adam. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Charlie. Good afternoon. And back from injury, good afternoon, Pete. Hiya. Back on the bandwagon. Right, let's crack on. We're going to Athletic 2, Millwall 1. Possession, 50%. Attempts, Athletic 16, Millwall 9. On target, we had 2, Millwall 3. Corners, 5 for the Wigan Athletics. And three for the Millwalls. Fouls, we committed 10, Millwall 8. We had one booking, James McLean getting his birthday card from uh, referee <laughs> Bobby Madley. And Millwall picked up two yellows. Uh, attendance of 10,858 on what was a nice day. Really good performance from the lads, considering that Millwall came into the game in fifth position, pushing for playoffs, end of season. Again, we had to win. And we did what we needed to do. Yeah, I have to say that against Stoke the other night, I wasn't that impressed because I thought Stoke was so poor and so not bothered. I thought almost anybody could have won that game. Yesterday was a different matter. I thought, personally, I thought it was the best attacking performance of the season. I thought the way we got at them right from the word go, pushed up the pitch as much as we possibly could, players running at them with the ball, putting them on the back foot. I thought, I thought it was great. Really did. Unchanged from Stoke City. McGuinness leading the line again. Sean Bellotti was saying he's looking for a way to get Will Keane into the team. And the way you get him into the team is, yeah, just to get that uh, player who can uh, take all the blows, you know, do all the do all the running off the ball, bring him into the game. And I don't think there's any coincidence that in the last probably three or four months, Carl Lang and Will Keane have had the best two games. And why is that? Super Josh McGuinness reminds me of Emil Heskey in the way that he brings players into the game. Will Keane's our Michael Owen and Josh McGuinness is our Heskey, the one who doesn't get the credit, but he does the work. Bangled from Will Keane. I thought Lang's contribution to that goal was, was superb. I don't think he, he, he'd have got an assist on the old assist on meter. It was really, weren't it? Yeah, and it's only not going down as an assist because there was a slight hand from the goalkeeper that pushed it to Will Keane. But we said after the Stoke goal, when the ball got swung into Keane by power and how he doesn't really need to expect the ball to come to him all the time to do something with it. Exactly the same with this. And we've been crying out all season for balls just to be put in the box. And Callum Lang was doing that yesterday I thought he was brilliant on the right wing obviously he provided the cross for Will Keane's goal and then later on provided the assist for Talo Asgard's goal but Lang was busy all afternoon never stopped running and the celebration after that second goal was obviously showing just how passionate he is for it and how much he deserved that so no I thought he was instrumental in that first goal he was brilliant Left-footed from Keane. Twinkle toes. We said that last week. Again, the, the, you know, I'll just reiterate the, the energy that Lang brings to that front line. And Josh McGuinness was saying during the week, wasn't he, about twinkle toe Will Keane. It was one of them, Get it, just get it in and get it over the line. And it was, like they say, a great performance overall yesterday. Everybody contributed. And I even saw Ryan Niambi up at the byline at one point. We've had him like get nosebleeds when he gets to the halfway line, haven't we, in recent games? We had a chance to go two up as well. Callum Lang, four players around him, managed to wriggle free and tore poker ball towards the goal. Went just the wrong side of the post. At that stage, I thought we would have deserved that two-goal lead as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the um, the whole demeanour of the team, the way that we were playing, it was all, all front foot. We were 
creating problems all the time. And when we conceded from their attack, I think that was Millwall's first attempt on goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was against the runner play, even though it was, I did think it was a good goal from Millwall's point of view. I watched the highlights on the club website and you'd think Millwall had put that highlights package together. They showed pretty much everything and everything that Millwall did, which was three forays into uh, into our box, including the goal. Like Pete said, they got away with it. First decent attack they scored. We were well worth a, a lead. Like you say, perhaps two would have been worthy of it first attack on our goal but down the right side again yeah I always think like you Barry yeah we've had a lot of goals coming from that side but I think you've got to give Millwall some credit it was a good build up and a good ball in and a, you know it's one of those that it's either an own goal or an easy finish for the striker what I was going to say in reply to Paul with the highlights package I think as well as we played and you had the feeling that we we could almost score at will. No pun intended, Mr. Keane. We only had two shots on target, didn't we? Which were the goals. You might argue that for a highlights package, it's not maybe something that you would show the build-up player. I can see why they, they might have been edited in that way. Although the stats reveal we had two shots on target, if you think to the second half with James McLean's effort, what was blocked... Now, that was on target as well. I think that, that stat is slightly wrong. It was on James McLean's wrong foot, whereas it was on his right foot. Three three on target and a good block. Savile, who scored the goal, was pointed out last week to us by Omar from Millwall's the better player. He did have a good game, and somebody else stood out for me in the midfield as well. Styles, the little guy with the fuzzy hair, I thought he looked quite a decent player. And I'd, I've never heard of him before, if I'm being honest. Styles was the one that played the ball through to Tom Bradshaw, that that's the one that cut our defence completely. And then Bradshaw was being chased by Jack Watt more and then before you know it Savile put the ball in the back of the net but no I thought Savile was brilliant yesterday he covered a lot of ground was getting in good positions trying to link a lot of play the only problem that I thought for Millwall and there was a lot of similarities in the Stoke game is just how deep their attackers were playing you know out of possession of the ball they were trying a little bit to push forward but then we were pinning them back and then it created that sort of midfield congestion and I looked on sofa score at the average positions and there is just a line of players. All the attackers in the midfielders are bunched up and that's exactly what we saw against Stokes. And we've had that a few times this season where we've not really attacked that and we we seem to now be getting more aware of how to break a team down when they are providing that congestion and getting the ball in behind. And that's coming from a lot of long balls that you know, Jack Watmore was trying a lot of long balls, switching play. Charlie Hughes did that when he came on and, and Tello Asgard and Callum Lang were nipping through. So... We, we did well to break that down, which has been our Achilles heel most of the season, and it's resulted in two good wins. One of our players who I thought did really well and drove with the ball, Chris Teehe, I thought he covered a, a load of ground. Although we give the ball away on one occasion on the edge of our box, they had an attempt from it. But apart from that, I thought he, he had a, a an excellent game and he was back to his best yesterday for us. Mm. I was slightly surprised to see him taking off, actually, because I, I did think he was uh, playing very well. But, of course, you've got to... We were in the position, I think, at that stage, weren't we? I think it was 1-1 when he got taken off that we, 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 were, we were having to take risks all the time. And I think that was shown by Jamie Jones's error, throwing the ball out. You, you perhaps think in a, in, a, in a different match at an earlier stage of the season, wait, on what on earth is he doing? But we're absolutely having to take risks. And I, I think that's all that he was doing. I, I don't think he deserves any criticism for it. He saw an opening, saw an outlet, and he was he was trying to get the ball to them. And it, it, unfortunately, it, it, it didn't quite work out. But he, at least he uh, got back to get his foot to it and put it out. I was just going to say on that um, when the, that triple substitution was made, there was a little bit of discontent of the crowd. A couple of boos. I think they wanted Beginners to stay on. I think they wanted Christ to stay on. But 
it's not a popularity contest, is it? You know, the manager has to make the decisions that are right for the team at the time. They're not. Yeah, Recky had a decent game as well, Adam, and I I can understand the questions being asked because you're pulling off three players there that all had decent games. No, they, they all deserve to stay on the pitch. But going back to what Pete says about taking risks, how much better do we look for taking a few risks? You know, I said, I was saying earlier about Dariqua pushing up and getting up to the byline. So, so much better than just playing everything, like, dead safe. And, and you are going to make the odd mistake, but if you believe in yourself, you're going to get a lot done. And you, that's you're gonna... the difference, I think, isn't it? Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, you've, you've talked a lot about you know, the mental side of the game, Paul, and, and confidence and so on. And and I think that's where it comes from. You have the confidence to take those risks then, don't you? Well, I I, I think I think some of it comes from that last chance saloon. You know, mm-hmm. you, you are in a position where if you don't do something, you're just going to go down with a whimper, at least, yeah, yeah. you know, at <laughs> least die trying, as they say. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I said we've been on the, uh, the old tightrope for a few weeks. I think we... We sort of fell off the tightrope. Now we, we we caught it on the way down, and we're still mm. hanging on, hoping that we can somehow get to the other side. Just before Adam jumps in, uh, just on the substitutions, the management know things that we don't at the side. They know if somebody's is is dipping stamina wise, and and if they've been carrying a knocking training. So they are calculated risks. They're not they're not just dragging people off for yeah. sake of it. No, I was just going to say partly that point, but also. I know it might be a hindsight thing now because we've seen what happened, but all the changes did actually work quite well because I think, to be fair to Fletcher when he came on, I thought he was phenomenal in terms of his work rate and what he put in. And then, you know, playing through that really painful injury at the end, you've got to give him a lot of credit for that. I thought Asgard coming on as a sub, um, he's always done the odd little bit but for me, he, he took the game by the scruff of the neck. I thought he was exceptional when he came on. His range of passing, his confidence to run with the ball and obviously the goal. And I think Charlie Hughes, out of our defenders, it's amazing at that age that he is the best passer out of our defence and he can get attacks going. So I agree with Paul. I don't think the players who came off uh, done anything wrong. I think they, they all played brilliant games. But I think it's a good sign when, you know, your manager is doing stuff that maybe the crowd doesn't necessarily agree with, but they're the right decisions for the team. So well done to him. I've got to give him a lot of credit on those substitutions. Yeah, and you mentioned Charlie Hughes there, Adam, as well. We got a chance from that when he pinged the ball over and Keno almost got on the end of one. And we had two chances later on, in, one before we scored and one after. James McLean, which we mentioned, it was on his right rather than his left. And that chance of Keno's. And I think he just, he sort of just clipped it a little bit, but he was he was stood on the edge of the six-yard box in an ocean of space. All he needed was a little nick on that and it's in the back of the net and it's 3-1. And Wasn't he flagged offside then? <laughs> Well, he might have been. I don't know. Talking of Will Keane, and I guess we're we're somewhere in the realms of talking about the second goal as well now. Can I just say a big shout out to, to Will Keane for that pass to Callum Lang. That was absolutely fantastic. At the level that we're we're at, you know, bottom bottom of the championship, for somebody to pull a pass out of the hat like that, it was such a perfectly weighted ball. 
just a, a, a couple of yards in front of Callum Lang. So Callum Lang didn't need to um, change change his pace that he was running at and so on. He could, he could just carry on running with it. That made that goal for me. Absolutely fantastic pass. Great goal. And we brought yeah. three on two, didn't we? And as we got into the box, Asgard checked his run. And if you watch, you've watched the replay, checked his run very intelligent. Lange picked him out and he hit a first-time shot. No sorting his feet out. First time, passed it into the back of the net. Super goal. And I thought that ball of Keane's was outstanding. I'm trying to think. Of all his finishes, roughly been the same. I know some of them have been better quality because they've been further out. But have they all been that sort of right-sided curl into the bottom right, start it out a bit wider and kind of curl it in? From the left of yeah, the box. For the, for the left, because that reminds me of a player who played a few years ago for us. Sean Malone. Uh, one thing I would say about him is, and I thought he was very good yesterday, but he does need occasionally to go the other way as well, doesn't he? Because eventually, I mean, some some teams have already worked that out, particularly when he starts a game, is that that is his move. He hits it very well, but you, know, you need something a little bit different some great performances yesterday. Tihi, Watmore, Dariqua, brilliant getting forward. Niambe, I thought, played well. McGuinness, Lang, for me, Keane, outstanding yesterday. But it's not down to me to choose the man of the match. That's chosen by our listeners on both Facebook and Twitter. And the vote this week goes to Wigan Athletics number 19 for a superb game, Talon Lang. So congratulations, Lange. Fantastic game. So uh, we're really buzzing after that fantastic win against Millwall and it gives us a glimmer of hope. It might only be a glimmer, but it is still there a glimmer. And whilst we were talking about really good performances by players, something we'd like to announce that the Progress with Unity Player of the Season Award is now ready to be voted upon. So you might say, how do we do this? Well, quite simple, really. What you need to do is email P-W-U-P-O-T-S, that's P-W-U-P-O-T-S, at gmail.com. In the topic, mark 2023, and just put the name of the player that you think deserves to be player of the season this season. And what we will do, we will tally all the votes up and announce our player of the season and award them with the coveted Progress with Unity POTS trophy that will take place before the end of the season. So the closing date, I think we're going to set it around the 1st of May. So get them votes in as soon as possible. We're moving on now. We're going to take a little look at the running and our position uh, in the table and Paul's tightrope that we're still clinging to. (laughs) I'll just read out the bottom seven clubs in reverse order, starting with the 24th place, which is Wigan Athletic. We've played 44 with two games left. We're on 40 points. One point behind Blackpool in 23rd, who have also got two games left, and they're on 41 points. Who are two points behind Reading, who are on 43 points in 22nd place. They have two games left. Just outside of the bottom three, we've got Uddersfield on 44, Cardiff City on 46, and Rotherham United on 46. All three have got three games left, and QPR are the seventh club, we can't catch QPR. They're on 47 points, but they're still in the mix. So let's have a look at some fixtures, remaining fixtures. This week, Rotherham will face Cardiff in the rear age game after a game was abandoned due to a waterlogged pitch, and that is going to take place on Thursday. On Friday, Blackpool meet Millwall 
on Saturday, the only game involving any of the bottom seven is Reading versus the Latics. Sunday, Cardiff are back in action when they meet Uddersfield. And then on Monday, Rotherham play Borough. I'm hoping that Rotherham beat Cardiff on Thursday. So then Cardiff will need to beat Uddersfield on Sunday. Team that we can realistically catch in this scenario, in this mix-up, is Uddersfield. If we win our last two games, we finish above Reading. I, I mean, I think it's just a dead straightforward, simple scenario. We go win-win. That puts us on 46 points. The goal difference is, is too big of a gap to catch Cardiff or Rotherham unless they have absolute nightmare ends to the season. So basically you're looking at Uddersfield not picking up a win, Reading not picking up a win and Blackpool can pick up a win and a draw maybe, but as long as Blackpool don't go six points. You know, we can re if we go six points and that's the only scenario that we can entertain, we can reasonably expect to overhaul Blackpool, possibly expect to overhaul Reading, and with a bit of a miracle, we can overhaul Huddersfield as well. Just to correct myself here, I've noticed that I've my, my, I've worked it out wrong. In actual fact, Reading have got a better goal difference than us. So if, if we beat them, but they win at Uddersfield on the final day, they can actually pip us if even if we win two games, unless we we overturn a seven-goal deficit. So we've got to hope that Uddersfield lose two games and draw with Reading. Well, this is getting worse. This is so nervous. We're dead, to all intents and purposes, aren't we? Everything's got to go our way now, innit? Like, you've just got to look at all the other results and all the other games, and everything has to point our way. The most frustrating thing for me is that three-point deduction, because if we don't have that, we're on 43 points, or one point off Huddersfield, and then I'd go into the last two games feeling really confident that we can do it, but you're asking us to win both our games, which this is only the second time all season where we've actually won two games in a row. We've only done it once, which was back in September. We've done it again, and now we're asking them to go and win four games on the bounce on the final four games of the season. You know, it's possible they can do it, but then I think Rotherham and Cardiff are too far out of it. Their goal difference, like you say, is is massively better than ours. They would have to have an almighty collapse. So realistically, Huddersfield, Reading, Blackpool and Wigan, it's going to be three out of them four. Huddersfield, they pick up a win. They're up to 47 points and they're, they're laughing. They're out of it. It is possible. Stranger things have happened. A lot of the time we get down to the final day and we can pull off a miracle somewhere. But I was looking at the, the bottom six and the points that they picked up at home and the points that they picked up away. It's only Wigan and Cardiff in that bottom six who have got over 20 points in both the home and away fixtures. Reading have picked up 37 points at home, but only 12 away. So the 37 points at home could keep them up. I know they got the minus six, but their, their home form has been a lot better. Rotherham, 30 points at home, but 16 away. They're pretty much out of it. Yes, we've broken the ceiling of a 20 to get to get above that, but you know the other teams have been either better at home or better away. And then the three-point the three deduction is essentially what's probably going to send us down. So down to the wire, mm -hmm. it's frustrating. But at the same time, we haven't played well all season and we are at the bottom of the table because of that. I, I would disagree. And I get the three-point deduction. everything I say, Paul, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very easy to, to look at the table and say, well, if we had another three points, we'd be right in it. But ultimately, for me, the biggest problem we've got is the Colo Toure era. Two points from seven games. You know, if you put any sort of reasonable amount of points for that, you don't have to be brilliant over those seven games. You just have to not be absolutely abysmal. If he hadn't have been telling us to knock it around at the back with hospital passes, we probably have picked up enough points to be right in the mix anyway. We're looking ahead to next season. So if we can finish this season with four wins, whatever division we're in, it's the clubs going into the next season 
with a winning mentality rather than a losing mentality. I was listening to Richie Wellens last night, the manager of Leighton Orient, and I was asking him about finishing the season and are they going for it because the, the, the crown champions of League Two and they're getting promoted. And he said, yeah, because they want to keep that winning mentality there. They want to keep winning, winning football games through to next season. And that's what I'm hoping for. Probably 100 to 1, aren't we, to, to get relegated. It's It's... In the bookies, yeah. eye, we're a dead cert. Even by Wigan standards, it's a massive ask, isn't it? But I think, like you say, if you finish the season with four wins and still go down, you go into next season thinking, hang on a minute, when we play all right, we're a championship team. And it's you know, it's the it's the the periods where we were rubbish and we didn't play all right that, that cost us. That will speak volumes with the mentality at the start of next season. Again, for whatever happens for myself, we've got a good manager. We've got somebody who's come in and stopped the rot. He's turned it around a little bit. We've won four games under Sean Maloney. I'm quite pleased to be going into whatever division with, with Maloney at the helm. I mean, even his substitution, he got criticised yesterday for making them subs, but one of them scored the winning goal. <laughs> you know what I mean? He knows what he, it, it Well, it looks like he knows what he's doing and it's paying off. And we've got to remember, we've played a team in the playoffs. I know it's a poor run of form, but there's still a team who's been... And in that Fleming, they've got a player there who uh, is coveted by a Premier League club. They're not a bad team at all. And... <laughs> We, we were every bit equal to them as well, weren't we? I mean, it is. It's such a shame. You take that middle bit of the season out where we were all rubbishing into, you know, the, the, the decline under Liam Richardson, where he hit the sticky patch and then Colo Toure. And we we should be nowhere near the bottom. Can you imagine that last game? If, you know, we do get the win at Reading and results do go our way. And we're, I mean, what an atmosphere that'll be. And everybody will be like they used to be in the old days with the transistor radios at the rear listening to... At least transistor radios used to work. Yeah. Be everybody fighting for the bloody mobile signal, won't it, to get an yeah. update? It'll, it'll be the West Ham game all over again, won't it? You know, the 3-2 <laughs> West Ham game. Or, or the away at Stoke. Hopefully we can take it to that last last game. Well, hopefully we can take it and other results can take it there as well. But we'll find out. Have you any news for us, Charlie, about anything? I have. And we might have had a difficult season on the field, but the EFL Awards are tonight and Wigan Athletic have just won the EFL Community Club of the Season Award as we've been recording this. So got announced a few minutes ago, but as a massive achievement for everybody that's involved and just huge for the club. You know, it's like I said, it's been really, really difficult. We had the situation with Tom Flower, unfortunately, passing earlier in the season as well. And then just all the work that the club and the community trust have been doing in and around the community for for the fans and those who live in the town. It is brilliant and it's great to see that recognised again. It is. That's fantastic news. And it's a fitting tribute to Tom as well, because he was an absolute superstar. So fitting. Massive congratulations going to the Community Trust there. And hopefully Gaz, Gazel is going to take us forward. Tom's understudy. So brilliant news. We'll be back on Wednesday where we're going to be talking about the player of the season. And we're each going to pick our own favourite and and give a little citation as to why we think they should be crowned Progress with Unity, player of the season 2022-23. And also, we'll be looking forward to that massive game at the Carl Leeson Stadium. So until then, I'll just say, up the six and come on! Up the six. six.